Hello, friends. Welcome to the In the Whisper podcast. I'm your host, Nita Wilkinson. We all know that life is just plain hard sometimes. Join me each week as I talk to a girlfriend about their journey of overcoming and how it always leads back to Jesus. Welcome back to the In the Whisper podcast. I am so blessed today to have Rebecca Beresford to tell us her story about her daughter, Eliana. She miscarried, and I have learned so much through her story. I'm just going to introduce Rebecca and let her tell her story of Eliana. Hi, I'm happy to be here with you today. So I was 14 and a half weeks. I had a early ER visit around seven o'clock in the morning. I had been awake all night with um, extreme pain. It felt like contractions, but I wasn't bleeding. And so I pushed off going to the hospital all night. And I went in at seven o'clock in the morning. I had um, been diagnosed with a subchorionic hemorrhage the week before. And so when the doctors saw me, they removed two large blood clots from my cervix. They told me that my pain was being caused by my body just trying to contract and get rid of these blood clots. They did an ultrasound. They said baby looked great, was kicking, heartbeat was strong. The nurse even said that my baby looked happy. The nurse or the doctor reported that my cervix was closed. I wasn't in labor and that everything should be fine if I were to experience any more pain or significant bleeding to come back in. I didn't even ask for an ultrasound picture because I... I felt so confident in what they were telling me. And I just almost approved to myself that this wasn't the last time I was gonna have an ultrasound. I just, out of faith, went home. Um, they had given me medication that I wasn't familiar with, that it, I didn't know at the time, but was a sedative. And I was definitely starting to feel more relaxed and starting to feel my pain go away. I got home and shortly after I was at home, my water broke. Uh, I threw up. My husband and I were just in complete shock, but he got me in the car. We rushed back to the hospital. I soaked through a towel just in the 10-minute ride it was back to the hospital. Oh, wow. Um, they, got me, they got me in a room, and I could hardly breathe. Um, I mean, the nurse was asking me questions, and I couldn't even talk. I was just, all I could say was, help me. And while I was waiting for the doctor, they gave me a couple different pain medications because nothing was working. I remember an older nurse feeling bad for me and she just stuck me in the leg with morphine. Oh. Um, and once she did that, I was starting to feel a little bit of the edge being taken off. But the same doctor that sent me home came back in and told me she believed I was having a miscarriage, but that she needed to do an ultrasound. She did that, said the baby was no longer in uterus and in the birth canal and I needed to lay back and push. She asked for one push and grabbed a tool. She started just really um, just trying to pull. And she said that the baby was decapitated. Um, and she started telling us what she was pulling out. And my husband asked her to stop um, just because it was a lot. Yeah. Uh, there was also laughter that we could hear from some other room. We didn't yeah. know where it was coming from. We weren't sure if it was a break room or something. But so that was really distracting but also it felt cruel you know yeah. that I was going yeah. through this while listening to that mm. she said that the, the head was still inside um, she leaned forward said looks like it was a boy and she left the room I had my husband and I were crying because after she told yeah. us it was a boy you know this was the first time we were learning the gender and so we were just crying and um, 
the nurse came back in, asked me if I passed the head. Um, I was just, you know, I was so disoriented. Um, I didn't know what to say. She just kind of looked under the sheet and gathered what was there and put it in a bucket and placed it on top of a linen basket. Mm. Then another nurse came in the room and asked us to sign paperwork. At this point, I had had several different medications. I wasn't looking at the paperwork she was I just asked her what is this Mm -hmm. Um, because I couldn't read she told me um, she held up two fingers and said that this was uh, paperwork and we had two options based on you know what to do with the baby's remains that we could either send the body to a funeral home and she said which I have never had anyone do with a baby under 20 weeks or you can do a pathology report and find out why this happened to your baby. And my husband and I just looked at each other and we asked, you know, what do people do? What do we do? And she said, well, if you do a pathology report, you may be able to find out, you know, what happened to your baby. And in that moment, and because it had felt like emotional whiplash, you know, things were fine and all of a sudden we're here. Mm -hmm. We had never considered what we would do with our baby if we lost them. And um, so we just decided to go ahead and do what she, you know, suggested. And I didn't look at the paperwork until I was postpartum. And this was several weeks afterwards, but there was actually a lot of different options we had. Uh Um, We could have even chosen pathology report with sending the body to a funeral home. And so reading that afterwards, while I was trying to process and understand what happened was it felt just like another another layer of trauma Um, oh absolutely just seeing you know what what we could have had what we could have done um how that was um I mean it kind of felt like we were robbed and I I pursued looking what does happen you know during a second trimester miscarriage I tried talking to friends and listening to you know miscarriage podcasts and I was it was putting me in a more isolating yeah. and angry and sad place because so many people were just talking about their wonderful, compassionate healthcare workers and things of that nature. So I want to read here something that you wrote, which is how we met was through Facebook and, and you had written a post because you wanted people to know about this. I didn't know I could have held her. I didn't know that I was allowed to spend time with her. I didn't know that I, I could have had pictures taken of her tiny feet I didn't know to ask. And I have I read that and I thought, gosh, I, I wouldn't know to ask that either. You know, you just assume that the people that do these things would, would know more. So you said that there were other options that were listed in the paperwork that you didn't know about for weeks. So what were some of those? So options including um the different things that we could do with her remains that Mm -hmm. included you know both pathology and funeral home services but also so the hospital had a bereavement checklist for under the age of 18 weeks and and it was very specific and um, it included time with the baby seeing the baby a blessing for the baby getting a like a a card that showed that their name that they were at the hospital but they were you know a non-viable baby a birth certificate um oh wow just there were there were so many things and there was absolutely nothing offered 
nothing to acknowledge that there was there was a loss. Um, there wasn't a nurse. There wasn't a nurse that even said, "I'm so sorry." It was as if I was there for a procedure, and it was so disorienting. And I think I was honestly just in shock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were in shock anyway, and then to to find that out later. Now you they told you that the baby was a boy, mm-hmm. but. Eliana Rose was a girl. How did you find out that she was actually a girl? Yes, so I had, um, so this was three months after we had lost him slash her. I know it's confusing part of the story, but I had, I had been like trying to do things to pursue like just healing and closure. So I had been looking at my paperwork, you know, just my discharge papers. I had started going to counseling and I, I had called to see where the remains were. And so these were all just steps I was trying to take towards healing. And I thought, well, I want all of my hard copy paperwork in front of me so that, you know, I didn't know what I was looking for. I just wanted all of my paperwork because I felt like there was already so many things I didn't know just mm-hmm. from my discharge papers. So I wanted my hard copies. And I had my, my son Cannon with me. He was a toddler at the time. Um, I was feeling hopeful because I had started going to counseling, just feeling like I was finally starting to see light just in the fact that this will eventually get better and hurt maybe a little less. And I printed off all the paperwork and I actually sat in my car and was just like flipping through it. I don't know what I was looking for. I just wanted to, you know, look through everything. And I got to the pathology report. And at the very top, the very first line was um, 14 and a half week old female. And I, my jaw dropped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I was like, I even like hit my face a little bit and was just like shaking the papers. Like, is this real? I immediately called my husband and I was crying and he was at work and I told him and he started crying. Uh, He actually had to leave work because he was so upset. Mm -hmm. It just felt like the rug had really been ripped out from underneath of us. Yeah. Because my my OBGYN actually had that report in front of her just one week after we lost Eliana. Like we were sitting in her office kind of like for a checkup and she had that report in front of her and she could have said something and she never did. We even told her, yeah, it meant a lot to us. They told us it was a boy at the hospital and she just didn't say a word. And so to know that for three months, you know, we named him, we had, you know, we would do family outings and we would feel sad and talk about how we'll never be able to do this with him. It was just, it felt like we lost another baby. Yeah. For my husband who, he just has the most precious heart. He felt like he saw our baby being a boy going through the dismemberment, like in delivery, he saw it as a mercy that it was one of his sons that went through such a horrible tragedy and not in place of almost like his daughter, because he felt he's, he was raised, the guy always goes down for the girl. And so he, he told me when we thought it was a boy, like he looked at him, like he was his hero. And so that was, I mean, devastating for both of us Mm -hmm. but very very hard on my husband well and just 
after everything else. Right. I guess now we should get to where mm-hmm. Eliana ended up because that's how you started your post. Yes. And how you found out about that. When I was trying to just almost like scratching and clawing in the dark, trying to figure out how to heal. And I felt like maybe I just need to know where the remains were taken. And at the time, you know, when I was pursuing it, I thought it was a boy. And so I told myself, I just need to know where his, where, where he was taken. And when I called the pathology department, I was patched through to three different people before I actually got to the supervisor who could give me answers and just kind of stumbling over my words, explaining who I was, not knowing how much to share or not to share. She told me that she needed to make phone calls to find out, but she said, well, your specimen was incinerated and taken away with all the other waste. Just like nonchalant, very, very blunt. And it took me a minute to respond, but I, I asked her, you know, could you please use sensitive language? Like I've explained to you, this was my baby. I need to know where where they were taken. And she said, well, we're, we're contracted out with this company. I don't know. And I said, well, is there a way you can find out? It took her two weeks to oh, call wow. me back. I actually, she told me it would be 24 hours. And I, I kept calling and I just kept missing her. You know, oh, well, she just stepped out of the office or, oh, she's at lunch. And so it took two weeks until finally I left enough messages that she called me back. And I was standing in the grocery store and I remember exactly where I was when she told me and gave me the address for a landfill. And at that moment, I felt like I would never have peace. Right. Um, I felt, you know, cause I, I was looking for that answer to just, well, I just need to know for, mm-hmm. so I can move forward. And it felt like there was no moving forward. Mm-hmm. It was all out of my control, and there I would never be able to make peace with that. Right. Um, is how it felt. You did go visit the landfill. They called it a class one landfill. Is that cl- yes. correct? You did go visit. Yes. And tell me about that day. Well, because of how this has affected my mental health, we actually had to move out of state, and we moved 12 hours away. Okay. And um, so we took a road trip with our two young boys in the back seat to come back and visit um, and to see for the first time after two and a half years. And we had to drive way out into the country to, to get to this place. And I didn't know what to expect. I had never seen one. As the trees were starting to clear, I was, you know, just trying to look and see what was ahead. Mm-hmm. And I... I mean, it it feels like a movie scene because when I remember the first, like, just, my goodness, like, picture that I see in my mind of when I first saw it, there was this huge mound, and it didn't look real, and it looked like it was almost like there was only light above the mound, mm-hmm. and there were so many birds flying over the mound there were I I couldn't believe it and I I just told my husband like this can't be it and we drove into the entrance and I 
I, I mean, I was just gut wrenched. Um, we pulled over so that, I mean, cause there was just a line of trucks waiting to get around us. You know, they had their trailers of trash and old mattresses and my husband just held me and I was just sobbing. It just didn't feel real. Um, but it was also, uh, I don't know, like I explained it to you a little bit earlier, even though I know she's with Jesus and this isn't, you know, where she really, like her soul is or anything. It was just for the first time since I never got to see her or hold her, just know that this is where like her body is like that. Like I, I waited so long just to be able to like say goodbye. Yeah. It was just overwhelming. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure it was. You were unaware, but this hospital or this particular doctor actually also performs abortions. So for them, this is a little different than it is for you. I I needed them just to hear me, um, but to also hear that there is amazing education that they don't even have to pay for and that... I believed the best way that they could honor her was looking into that education. There's no getting back any anything from that day. There's no getting back time with her or seeing her or decisions. There's nothing that will give that back to us. But to know that this can't happen to another family, like that's the best thing right. that could come from this. And so I was able to encourage that education and I hope that they pursue that, but it's really not about just this facility or just a, you right. know, one doctor or one nurse. It took two and a half years to really understand that for it to even be possible to happen, it's a, it's a culture that's being created and a society that we have tolerated, you mm-hmm. know, apathy towards life. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm learning and attending these Rachel's Gift bereavement trainings that nurses are not being given the proper bereavement education that they need. They have these resources that are beautiful from nonprofits being donated, but they they aren't being taught how to use them. Mm -hmm. So you see these pretty things sitting on a shelf, but if you don't know how to use them, then you're not going to feel comfortable using them with a patient in a situation like that that you weren't even prepared for so i think that there's a gap and that eliana's story really highlights that gap nurses don't know what a hospital disposition is and i don't i say nurses and i'm not saying all nurses just the nurses that i have spoken with in my experience that have reached out to me when they've read my post they had no idea what hospital disposition meant Right. Um, that it that it means landfill, or that what their pol- what their hospitals policies are. Right. There are a couple hospitals in select areas and cities that will partner with a funeral home, mm-hmm. and they'll have common burial grounds for these angel babies. Is right. what they call them, which is beautiful. The right. parents can go there and grieve, and you know if they ever want to visit. But for all other parents that don't choose the funeral home option, that a landfill is is where their baby goes. Tell me more about Rachel's Gifts, that nonprofit organization. You're very involved in that now. 
I just started to be, yes. So I, I met the director. She is just this beautiful, amazing person. She started it after losing her daughter, Rachel. So they go into hospitals and they teach the nurses and staff not only how to provide proper bereavement care and you facilitate that relationship between mom and baby, but also how to use all these amazing resources that are out there. So she brings in things called Molly Bears, uh, Bridges Cradles, Heaven's Gain. There are all these amazing organizations that exist. Why do they exist? Because women need them. Women are in pain and they're trying to grieve and these resources have proven not to fix anything, but to just come alongside them in their grief and help them grieve in a healthier way. Right. Uh, but Rachel's gift, they do, they provide this amazing bereavement training that the nurses are not getting in their nursing programs. And so it just kind of bridges that gap. It helps alleviate their stress. It gives them a narrative. So they don't have to try to think of the right thing to say. It, you know, they help them know exactly what to say, what tools to give, what actions to take without having to become too emotionally involved themselves. They see trauma upon trauma countless times in their shifts. So why make their job any harder? You know, Rachel's gift provides this education for to alleviate their own stress, but also to, I mean, it helps for the patient, it creates a lifelong healthy grief journey versus right. it postures that, you know, it postures that well instead of additional trauma. Right. And you have been diagnosed with PTSD from this. And yes. are you doing better? Moving away from the city where this happened significantly, yes. Like there. Uh, because I had so many triggers, so I would see the contracted company that worked with the hospital to mm -hmm. remove the ashes. They also remove garbage away from Walgreens. And so, you know, just common places like Walgreens. So I would see that truck. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I've never been someone who struggled with panic attacks or anxiety or anything like that. But I, I would, I mean, I would have a panic attack. I would have to pull over not be able to stop crying there were just so many triggers right. seeing billboards for the hospital talking about their integrity and their compassionate care just things like that mm -hmm. were so yeah. triggering to me and so living away from that place has definitely been a lot better but there are i don't know like in <laughs> just recently you know sharing that post know just rethinking through different things or days where where I'm looking at this checklist sometimes like that or what even when I'm sharing parts of my story that anxiety takes over or something that happens to me when when I get triggered I get really really cold and shaky and I can't get warm uh -huh. um, like there's different physical responses that I have that I have to know okay I need to I need to take a break or I need to step away or I need to do something to change where my brain is going. <laughs> right, right. You had shared with me that this situation almost separated you from your faith, mm -hmm. but you have it back now. So can you talk a little bit about the process to, to come back through so much trauma and turmoil and heartache? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when this initially happened, 
I was telling you, even after my water had broken and I was on my way right. to the hospital, I was so confident in how God had always taken care of me and rescued me and saved me some really crazy situations that I didn't think I was really going to lose my baby. And so when I'm in the delivery room and not only am I losing my baby, but I'm losing her in such a, uh, it just felt like a cruel way. I didn't feel the peace of God in the room. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't hear him or see him. And I've learned that trauma can sometimes blind us to maybe seeing or even seeking God mm -hmm. in that moment. And so I've, I've started, well, I, I started to like months afterwards, just like, okay, Jesus, where were you when this was happening? You know, where mm -hmm. were you when this was happening? And honestly, it's over the last couple years, like he's been so faithful to show me where he was in that moment or the details I was spared from knowing then mm -hmm. and just coming out later. Cause I think if I would have known everything all at the same time, even I've even been able to look at them telling us the wrong gender as a mercy because we had a name for a girl. We had picked out Eliana's name. Like we totally thought it was going to be a girl. We were really excited. And so I don't know how I would have handled that if I knew it was a girl like right away because of everything else that I was processing and dealing with. And so I've even been able to look at that as a mercy. What I do love and appreciate about going through all of this is it challenged me to know what I believe. So I had pastor's wife of the church that we were attending at the time share with me and what she felt was wisdom that, you know, if we had been serving and tithing more regularly, that we would have been given the desires of our heart. Not only do I, I know that that's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I know that that's not God's character towards right. me. I, I mean, it really challenged me to know, is God like good because he does good things for me and things work out good? Or is he good no matter what, because he's good. And I just really had to go through what I believed about God. And I mean, just really searching, like how could he, I mean, I know that people lose babies, but how could he let me lose my baby and have let her be dismembered and then thrown away, you know? Like, how could he let that happen? And so going through all of that and seeking him and knowing that he can handle my questions and my doubt. Yeah, I feel like that's when my faith became more real to me because it was I was at a crossroads. Either I was going to walk away and not want anything to do with a God that's going to let something like that happen to me or lean into understanding that his silence or what I thought was his silence was him weeping with me and not abandoning me. Yeah. That, that's a hard place to get to, especially in the midst of, of so much heartache and pain. And uh, I just can't imagine. I, I read your story and I reached right out to you because I feel like, I mean, I didn't know these things. I'm, I'm reading. I didn't know. I didn't know. And I thought, I didn't know this either. And I think maybe a lot of people don't know this, that you know, that there's just things we need to be educated in. And I do think that our culture has changed the regard for the sanctity of life in the womb. 
and that played into this quite a bit and it just it just breaks my heart that that's where we've gotten to because god loves those little babies just the same as he loves us think about the picture um, that i had posted um, of the landfill so my husband wanted to bring her a bouquet of flowers and the closest they would let us get was the fence surrounding the i mean because there were trucks you know spraying um i assume for the smell but there were it wasn't safe to walk up you know to the top but they let us come up to the fence and my husband put the bouquet of flowers on the fence and i didn't see it at the time until i looked back on my phone but there was this beautiful ray of light coming down onto just the bouquet of flowers in the mm-hmm. picture oh. and we didn't even know when we chose eliana's name that it meant ray of light we knew that it meant god has heard me or god has answered me but i actually didn't know her name meant ray of light until after we went to the landfill oh, that's um, awesome. and i was looking you know because i was seeing this beautiful ray of light on the bouquet of flowers and i'm looking at her name and it just felt like such a god gift that he would show us that he not only sees her but he he knows what happened and what if the question that comes to me is what if you were that important that even when you were a tiny baby and this happened to you that God sees you and knows you and loves you and that you have a name and he sees that and he sees all of these babies that are there you know we're just Mm -hmm. we just happen to be telling people and talking about just our baby Eliana you know but there are so many babies that are being taken here and the biggest message I I want people to hear is that we are all image bearers Eliana was an image bearer and there should be distinction for how we dispose of human life Mm -hmm. and garbage just there should be there should be distinction absolutely I absolutely agree. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I do always ask my guests a couple of questions. One is, what are you reading right now? I am reading um, a couple of different things. So I'm actually getting ready to lead a kind of like this book slash Bible study at my local pregnancy center Mm -hmm. for grief and loss group for women who have experienced miscarriage, stillbirth, or infant loss. And that book is called Anchored. It's essentially a guide through pregnancy loss. And then another one that I'm reading is Grace-Fueled Womanhood. (laughs) And the third one is called, what's it called? Oh, Enjoy the Little Things. Okay. So that's quite a nice array. <laughs> yeah. I have so many friends who read like fiction and novels and stuff, but I, I've always enjoyed reading. I don't like to read to have fun, I guess you could say. Right. But I, I like to read and feeling like I'm, I'm learning something, uh-huh. um, stuff like that. Well, that's awesome. And then my last question is, and I hope you are able to feel joy right now. What's bringing you joy? in this season of your life? Probably watching my boys just build their relationships. We had Caden after we had lost Eliana. Right. And he's just, we are all obsessed with him. He brings so much joy to our family. 
So seeing their bond and how and just their brotherhood is just a really sweet. It's just a really sweet thing for me, and I stay at home with them. Which <laughs> it's kind of funny because I feel like saying that you're a stay-at-home mom is kind of like a taboo thing because people ask, "Well, what do you do? Do you work?" And <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, staying at home with two little boys is yeah. a lot of work. Yes, um, it is. But I, I feel so privileged that I get to be with them right now and uh, just guiding them through all those foundational things. I don't know. I just, I love it. Being at home with them brings me a lot of joy. And your older boy is Cannon and he's four. Yes. So yes. that I'm sure they'll, they'll be good buddies as they grow up. Mm. Well, again, Rebecca, thank you for sharing this story. And I, I hope that it is something that other people will hear and and maybe make a difference to somebody if if they ever find themselves in a situation where they have to make these decisions thank you and thank you for even originally reading um the post i know it was very long (laughs) um but it's every person that has read it liked it you know responded to me it feels like healing Um, because for so long where I felt like I wasn't heard and her voice wasn't heard um, just to know that people even care to read what happened to her it just feels like a step towards healing for me so thank you I'm glad that finally able to do that and that that it is bringing you healing because you deserve that thank you thank you Rebecca's story is heartbreaking But it's also so inspiring as she worked through this trauma and this heartache and was able to come out on the other side, wanting to help other women who have faced something similar to her, but also in finding the mercies throughout this season of their life. I was so impressed with that. It breaks my heart that our culture has so little regard for the life of an unborn child that this is where we are, that an unborn baby would end up in a landfill. I'm hoping that through prayer and conversations, we will be able to change this narrative so that the life of an unborn child is valued and found to be as beautiful as God sees it. Thank you for listening. This was a hard podcast, but it was so worth it to hopefully keep someone else from going through this ordeal, but also just in seeing Rebecca's growth to where she is today. And while I know that it is still very painful for her, she has been able to truly see that there can be some good that came from this really horrific time in their life. Next week, we're going to switch it up a little bit, and we're going to talk Christian platitudes and how they can sometimes, even though we mean them with the right heart, they can be detrimental to someone who doesn't know the Bible well or who doesn't know Jesus well yet. So join me next week as we talk about that. Until then, this is the In the Whisper podcast.